0: Hello and welcome to our Tours Chats with Artists and Collectors. I'm your host, Carol Hudson, an artist living and working in Sydney, Australia. In this series, I catch up with artists for an informal chat about their work and their lives. It's always revealing and inspiring. You can see the work of each artist by following the link in the show notes below. Today we're talking with Helen Weyer in her Roselle studio. Helen, it's nice to be here. Fabulous to see you again. (laughs) Thanks, Carol. (laughs) You're very welcome. You've had the studio here, the making mostly jewellery studio here, for seven years?
1: That's that's right, yes. I was very pleased to have the space to be able to set Everything up, and so I could be pretty well independent. And I have taken over the entire house in different <laughs> ways.
0: <laughs> so um, there's a lot of machinery in there, and a couple of bikes. But but <laughs> but there's a lot of machinery in there. So you need you need quite a bit of equipment. Well, to, to, to do.
1: make to make the work that I do, and for any jeweller really, you have to have a bench. Uh, to work from, which gives you easy access, um, and so that you can work small um, but still have the very specialist tools that you require. Um, but at the same time, you also have to have a space where you um, uh, you can solder. So you're using fire a lot and, and chemicals. So that's out on my deck um, inside a cupboard. So the mm. cupboard opens up to become an extension of my studio, and then. I do have industrial type tools like a drill press and various other specialist tools that you might find in a woodworking workshop, however they're miniature. So I have a precision drill press and, uh, mm. and uh, a tiny rolling mill that um, really does the same thing as what you would find in an etching press mm. and uh, yeah, so forth. So a lot of very specialist tools on a small scale, mm. but uh, they all take up a lot of and I have a hydraulic press, which um, is quite exciting. It uses a car jack and allows me to press metal. So people that oh, are aware of press metal ceilings. It's the same kind of idea where you soften the metal up to a, a point and then you put it, put it under pressure mm-hmm. inside a shape, mm-hmm. uh, three, well, a negative shape, really, yeah. and the pressure forces the metal into that shape so you end up with a three-dimensional... Ah. form, which is very exciting, it's magical.
0: Is that what the work
1: is at the moment, the oak series? No, it's not because I've moved a little bit away from the hydraulic press mm-hmm. but I want to combine the two. At the moment the work in the, uh, with the oak leaves and the Illawarra flame tree leaves, I should mention that mm-hmm. as well, both of which um, reference Bundanon that uses repousse and chasing, which is a very ancient method. Um, so, while with the hydraulic press, it quite very quickly gives you a three dimensional form with um, repeated pressings, mm-hmm. um, the repousse and chasing is done just with the hand and tools so on the one hand again you're pushing out that's what repousse means Mm -hmm. so i can use the machine to do that but then i might just want to push out in small areas and then i flip it over and i chase using a a chasing tool and a hammer Mm -hmm. to um, put in detail So in the future, my intention is to combine the two, Mm. uh, but I just love the idea of drawing into metal. Mm. And I think that that is satisfied both by the work I do with a saw, to saw lines and saw negative um, lines and shapes, and the handwork of the chasing, which is drawing with a hammer Mm. and um, a quasi sharp tool into the metal mm. do you do you have a special sort of relationship
0: with metal like artists who use paint sort of usually just love the material and so do you, do you have a similar
1: oh I think I of, do because yeah. even though you know I've um, I mean I've recently been learning how to sew and of course I've done painting and I, and I love all of those things but I always think how can I use that with metal And I think it all came from when I was at school and uh, we studied um, as part of art, we could work with metal. And my art teacher set up the art room with nitric acid and asbestos mats and um, all sorts of nasties, which in the 1960s wasn't really considered to be nasty. Mm. And uh, and so there we all were in the classroom playing with this um, alchemy. Mm. And uh, so the alchemy gave me the taste of what was possible. And uh, so I've just continued that and built my skill base over the years. It's
0: interesting how art often starts at school mm. or, you know, at a really young age, mm. you get sort of hooked in and it just keeps growing throughout your life.
1: Yes yeah. I think so when you find that magic.
0: yeah. Tell us a little bit about the Bundanon experience how that came about and how that relates to your current body of work.
1: That sure well um, I applied for an artist residency at Bundanon and I was really delighted to have been offered that mm. and what the residency came with was not just a studio space to work but also a metal, metal smithing workshop that was um, given to Bundanon by the estate of Dorothy Dwyer, Michaela Dwyer had um, given this to um, to Bundanon. Being down there, I mean, I saw this massive space, and I thought, "Oh my God, what am I going to do in this in this space?" Mm. And part of, I think, an artist residency process is just taking time and not feeling under pressure to do stuff. But I did feel a bit under pressure, mm. so I was walking the um, the landscape, and a lot of my work is. Uh, relates to urban scapes and landscapes and particularly spaces that are kind of in flux and that have competing interests around them and uh, what was just everywhere were oak leaves just covering the landscape and I couldn't work out first of all what they were because I'm looking around trying to see the trees that would have generated those really beautiful leaves and then of course I discovered that the oak leaves were part of a garden that was planted next to the homestead at Bundanon, which was where the boys lived for some for some time. Although I don't think it was planted by them, and so you've got this floodplain surrounded by eucalypts and um, a lot of native species, of course, because it's right on the edge of a of a forest. But you also have this English garden, mm. and uh, and so you've got this, you know, this competing story going on that uh, created the forms and the imagery of that landscape and you look across the landscape um, across the paddocks that have cows and whatever in them uh, and they have these little poplar trees everywhere but they also have Illawarra flame trees so I thought well actually why don't I just play with those forms Um, because the forms themselves tell the story and the history of that particular place but my view is that i don't just want to make work about nature because um you can't improve on nature you know you've got a beautiful oak leaf how can you actually make something more beautiful than an oak leaf but of course what was sitting there right in front of me were the most powerful shadows that hit those leaves that were set up in the studio at eight o'clock in the morning and so it was like the light that was coming in was telling me that I should play with these forms. And the forms stopped being just beautiful oak leaves, but became the reflection of that moment in time at that place. So thus, you know, they're the forms. But I didn't want to just leave them as oak leaves. I, you know, the Illawarra flame trees were pretty fantastic as well. Are they the tiny tulip? They're R- very bright big. Red. Oh, they're the big oh the um, different. the Illawarra flame tree is um, it comes out at the same time as the jacaranda okay. and also the silky oak. Right. So you often see the um, Illawarra flame tree. Uh, they're almost uh, they're kind of pea like really. The flowers are pea, like a large pea like flowers. Okay. And the um, the pods the seed pods you can put a couple of ears on them and cut the branch and you end up seeing little rats. And then the leaves themselves are these very generous shaped, almost tatty leaves, but they're 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 fantastic leaves and very expressive. So while you've got this very neat, beautiful oak shape, mm, you've mm. kind of got this untidy, uh, loose, mm. decaying uh, Illawarra flame tree leaf. And so I did feel that they just encapsulated to some extent, this you know, the story of that of that land, that mm-hmm. piece of land.
0: That body of work is what we've got on the site. That's uh, right. Yeah. That's right. And so have a, take a look at, at that, at the, there's a link below in the show notes. So have a look at the work while we're chatting and um, you'll know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> after that, what happened
1: after the Bundanong experience, what well, that was fairly recent. Yeah. Um, so I had the the play. I, I started work on these when I was down there, just the, the beginning of them. And then I I had ten days down there. Because of COVID, there had been cancellations, and so people who were coming from overseas or interstate to do um, residencies weren't able to come. And so they invited me back. Mm. So I managed to go back for another. Week, a bit longer than a, a week, and uh, that when I went back, I spent the time in the metal smithing workshop doing a whole lot of a lot of stuff. But the other thing that I'd wanted to do was to collect pieces of timber that I found down there from the various um, eucalypts. Mm-hmm. And I actually intend, and I haven't managed to do it yet, but uh, but I've still got all these pieces of timber. To make a series of large rings based on the just forming from those uh, pieces of timber, those branches, to continue that story of, of how you you know that land through uh, the the things that are growing on that land mm-hmm. mm. in yeah
0: with and without you know human interference I imagine
1: that's right. So that
0: sort of takes us to sort of your you know philosophy your, your environmental thinking and how you think about nature does that come
1: from your master fine art degree yes it's sort of a bit of a chicken and egg because I think whenever you're you're doing uh, research there's a certain aesthetic there's a certain look there's a certain something that is just there and the, the master's research forced me to think about what it was. Why was it that I was focusing on that? And, um, and it's interesting that my son, who's also an artist, has spent some time dealing with the same kinds of landscapes, which is, which is funny. And those, I guess for me, what it became obvious was that these was, I was drawn to spaces that had competing interests. Uh, because of course all spaces have competing interests. Every space Mm. has got, there's an agenda and there's a story there that um, has, um, is revealed through the traces of those spaces. Mm. So I got into, um, I mean, one, one series of works that I did was based on the White Bay Power Station down here, which you can see if you're walking along the street. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been in decay for 20 years, if not more than that. That's the one on the corner of Mullins, is it? Yes, and and Victoria And Victoria Street.
0: Yeah, that's an incredible place a
1: very yeah very abandoned is that a Walter Burley Griffin one too no it's not no, it's no. not um, sadly those were all demolished mm. and there's just all bits of, of one down at um, Glee but no this was an Edwardian construction built to power the tramway network um, so it was initially built in 1912 it's got this very proud industrial although Edwardian facade and years ago it was open for tours and I got to go inside and see the generators and all of this, but it was such a an icon in the local area. But of course now it's been in decay for a very long time and there have been a very wide range of competing agendas over you know what should happen to it and it's still in the news periodically. But uh, it has been cleaned up just of late, but when I was doing that work, you had nature taking it back. Mm. And you had... Um, someone had gone down there and thought, oh, this is a bit dangerous, we'll stick up a barricade. And then the barricade itself had fallen and apart and was kind of limping there. And when the building was functional, you had windows on windows and windows and windows would be broken, so they'd just stick some band-aids on the window to stop it from falling out. And so all of those kind of... They're kind of grotesque spaces, but interesting. But also, windows that were broken, and you had pigeons poking mm-hmm. their heads out of it and, and living there. Um, and things were rusting. So, nature was
0: reclaiming. Was reclaiming.
1: Yeah. And I just, I guess I find that really mm-hmm. fascinating. It's, um, but I want to know the stories and I want to know why. And I think it's an invitation then to start to reveal some of that history and some of those stories.
0: And and the heavy use of metal, I imagine, in those buildings as well, mm. you know, be interesting for you, I oh, suppose yes. too. Oh, yeah. yes.
1: Oh, definitely. And,
0: and Cockatoo Island would be another...
1: Oh, yes. ..one of those
0: places, although it's quite well-kept. Yes. Now it's been preserved. Mm. It would be nice to see the same thing happen for that.
1: Yes. Again, mm. you know, it's. I guess it's... It's about telling stories that people don't know too mm. you know so now that cockatoo island for example is a you know you can camp there you can stay there overnight the biennale, the biennale has been there you know x times mm. it's almost like i there's a lot of engagement with that which is mm. fantastic mm. maybe i don't need to tell that story Yeah. No, to yes. me i like to discover these stories that people know less about mm-hmm. and and then the fact that you're looking in and through and around and beyond and mm. each of those points of view reveals something about mm-hmm. that, that space. Yes. Mm. And that formed part of your master's project? That was part of it. Yeah. Um, I also spent a bit of time playing with uh, forms that were being thrown up by the coal loaders up in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, of course, that's the same kind of thing. It's on the, on the cusp Of uh, a major transition to something else and you've got these amazing sites where you've got massive coal hills with those machines that you you know a classic coal machines turning coal into into the piles turning it into
0: off
1: off the boats or or off the the um, the trains Mm. that are piled up to go onto the ships that are sort of taken away. Mm. But right next to it, you've got a whole... You've got a wetlands, Mm. and you've got the mangroves. And and the beach and... All of that, and it's all kind of taking back. Mm. And, of course, it's interesting that even um, the wash of these giant ships that comes in to Newcastle Harbour that had... um, uh, require the building of the seawall out near Stockton. Mm-hmm. That action is now forcing the and climate change, but the the eroding of the beach at Stockton. Mm-hmm. So you've got sort of nature fighting back in those in those settings mm-hmm. too. So it's quite it's quite interesting. And these are
0: really um, quite monumental. What do you call? It? I guess it's interventions into the landscape. They're really quite big. They things are. that happen,
1: they are.
0: would you be interested in mining in the outback? <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> of feel?
1: course. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the irony of course is yeah. that here are these monumental massive things and my work is small. Yes. And yes. so um, I, I guess my attitude is that the small objects allow you to think about the detail and force your gaze in a way that you might not otherwise do when you're standing there in awe of these, mm. you know, massive, massive things. Yes, that's that's I
0: like that irony. Really, that's <laughs> that's I never thought of it that that way. But and then, but the leaves are a different a, a different thing. They are. They and, are. And that it's, it's a soft. It's a much softer sort of. Um, coming together of, you know, humans and nature mm. than, than um, you
1: know, big iron buildings and bricks. That's and, right. Yeah. That is right. Mm. Um, and it was a good... I've also got a residency at Hill End this year. Ah. And um, it was supposed to be last June, but because of COVID it was postponed. So that kind of put my program, turned it around a little bit, what I was thinking I was going to do. So what Bundanon Bundanon offered me was time to think about how I would engage with a a more rural setting. But I'd originally thought about going to Hill End because the history of Hill End is the history of gold Mm. and gold mining in Australia. And in the 19th century, the miners who found these great big nuggets of gold didn't want to be taxed on them, wanted to um, put them in a form that um, they could sort of show off their wealth, their nouveau wealth, and put it to the class system in England. So often they had it formed into these amazing brooches uh, known as the goldfields jewellery. And those pieces actually are landscapes very often. So they'll often feature little gold miners with buckets and uh, the tools of trade mm-hmm. and the, the ropes that would go down into the, into the mining hole. Because this is all artisan mining, mm-hmm. I, i.e. you build a hole and you go down into it, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then it collapses on you. But, um, so you've got these brooches that are depicting this um, impacted landscape while putting little frames of gum leaves and wattle and kangaroos and emus oh. in the mix. So in the 1850s you've got these representations of landscape mm. um, that both try and capture something about the Australian identity, but at the, at the unique Australian um, landscape while illustrating the the, um, the violence that the the miners themselves are doing to that mm. landscape yeah. to get this gold that's then used to make these brooches, so I thought, well, what better what better place to go visit as someone who makes wearable objects um, than mm. Hill End, which was built on the back of um, the gold gold mining industry. What have you got planned apart
0: from the Hill End Residency for the rest of 21?
1: Right, well I think the Hill End Residency is going to concentrate my thinking um, once I'm there but at the moment I'm uh, reworking a series of hand pieces because I made a series of of hands in response to um, a poem um, by Walt Whitman and uh, those hands were both expressions of ideas that I picked out from his poem, but also that to me seemed to make a commentary on the development that's happening down here at White Bay, which is the West Connects development. And so I made four um, neck pieces that are also wall um, wall objects that uh, I guess tell the story of how that land, that Landscape is being transformed, and combining it with some of those Walt Whitman ideas. So I want to extend that. So I've been taking more photos. So I've, in those I've been combining photographs and um, the repoussé and chasing that I've used in the uh, Bundanon pieces. Um, I feel a bit like Michelangelo when I make when I form these hands, because the, the hand is revealed out of the metal, mm. <laughs> and. Um, so they're gestures and the gestures are you know directing your gaze hopefully stimulating your reflection and pointing to certain things within those photos so i'm playing with both of with those things at Mm -hmm. the moment Mm -hmm. so i've got another half a dozen of those pieces Mm -hmm. planned that i've got to work on (laughs) (laughs) so can we see some of those yeah sure i can put uh, at the moment i've got um those are in an exhibition in Brisbane right. and also at Griffiths. Right. Uh, but I do have a couple of pieces. And as they develop, I'll make sure they get onto the website. Okay. And I do have some photos I can put on the website.
0: Right. OK, so we'll, we'll include those. So in the notes below, there'll be a link so you can have a look at what they are too. They well, Helen, thank you <laughs> so much. <laughs> That's been really, really a great chat. And things I didn't know, which is really nice to hear about. What I really liked hearing about is nature and human coexistence in those sort of contested spaces of industrial and natural world in, in Australia in particular. Mm. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Chats with Artists and Collectors. You can visit artour.com and subscribe to our newsletter and we'll let you know as new episodes come online. You can also explore the work of exceptional artists with rich and diverse practices at artour.com. We look forward to having you with us again very soon.